0: so luke what was the last thing you searched on google or ChatGPT?
1: puns i i'm really bad at coming up with puns myself me and my friends have a group chat about puns so i've been cheating a bit i'm not gonna lie and i had to come up with some puns for me i
2: told you it would make you sweat in this podcast <laughs> to another episode of the Open Metaverse Podcast, where where we deep dive into all things Web3. I'm your host, Mo, and today we have a special guest, Luke, the CTO and CEO of Pixels. Mehdi, my co-host, is also here to join the conversation. How are you doing
1: today, Luke? Doing good. It's been super busy here at Pixels lately, um, but that's a good thing, I guess. So, yeah, no, getting through it, feeling good, feeling really energized about the next steps. I love it. I mean,
2: we're so excited to have you. I know, obviously, we've we've been working on, on some of the tokenomics together behind the scenes. So it's, I guess we might as well jump straight in. Let, let's start with your background. Tell us a bit of your crypto origin story and, and the inspiration behind Pixels and maybe a small touch on CTO and CEO. It's not often we see that within within the space as well.
1: Yeah, totally. So I actually had a technical background. I started coding when I was like 12. Um, and weirdly enough, I was kind of around crypto at a really young age as well. I learned about Bitcoin in like 2013, 2014. I started mining at my parents' computer. Um, but then, you know, I went off to university, I studied computer science and economics. Um, I chose economics because I was super interested in it. But I thought it'd be completely useless. And funny enough, in our economics classes, we went over Bitcoin a few times and I was actually like drilled about how you know, terrible Bitcoin was. I was just like all about speculation and stuff like that, too. So I actually had, like a pretty uh, negative connotation of crypto for a long time. Um, especially after, you know, graduating, going out into the real world. But yeah, I ended up starting working as a software engineer for a little bit. And then eventually ended up starting this company called Mesh, which turned into Pixels. So Mesh wasn't a Web3 company. It was kind of like a metaverse company, though. Um, We kind of pioneered this new technology called Spatial Video Chat, which was essentially creating like virtual persistent spaces. Um, We used this technology to sell to enterprise companies. So we basically hosted like happy hours, mixers, and... You know other interesting engaging events online for companies like apple uber rippling and twitter um but that business wasn't quite working what we found with virtual spaces is that you know if we gave people a virtual space we didn't see very consistent usage if they were just hanging out in it um we see like a bunch of metaverse platforms kind of doing the same thing right now but we realized we need to make a bit of a change and what we were really interested in was um gaming in order to increase retention in order to make these spaces you know something that people would use every single day and then at the same time what was really interesting is one of our most popular use cases for the product was actually an nft collection called pixel beast and they had been bugging me so much about putting their nfts into like our platform to walk around as them and i just wrote them off at first but then it's funny they offered us like twenty thousand dollars to do it and i'm like oh this is a bit more interesting to me now, we started digging into the use case, and we saw all these NFT collections out there that essentially had these NFTs that had nothing to do with them, but they had really strong communities. So we started actually doing these NFT integrations into the platform. And we saw really high engagement with our Web3 audience where, you know, it kind of opened up this new form of distribution where we could do these partnerships with these NFT collections, um, which is now, you know, people call it interoperability. But we were able to do these like basically permissionless um, reads of NFT collections and kind of uh, we started building the Web3 ethos that way. So it was like a, you know, simultaneous pivot of moving into gaming and then, you know, getting really into Web3 with these other uh, NFT collections that we were working with. And made us very convinced that um, you know Web3 gaming was a very interesting way for us to go.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating story, Luke. I know you mentioned technology and community. But I just wanted to dive a bit deeper into the technology stack. Like what were some of the rationales of using Web3 uh, for 4Pixels?
1: Yeah, so Web3 tech is interesting, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that you still have to build that you might not think that you have to build. Um, And it's very much deep tech, which for me as a founder, that's actually really good founder market fit. Because this tech that we built before was very hard tech to build these virtual persistent spaces. You know, it's like a bunch of DevOps, Kubernetes, and like, you know, some really unique stuff there. So that was also partly what attracted me to Web3, where the tech is extremely hard to build. And, you know, that gives my team an edge because, you know, we can actually build harder things. So, you know, rather than like competing one-to-one with a game studio, you know, now we're competing with game studios, but we have that technical edge. Um, And that's what also really attracted me to that space.
0: Uh, Luke, just to follow on. um. So, so we spoke about the technology aspect of Web3. Were there any interesting economic aspects that you thought were interesting to incorporate within pixels and which Web2 cannot offer?
1: Yeah, so what really also attracted me to Web3 was the idea of like designing an economy ground up. Um, that was just like a personal thing where I'm like, this is the coolest thing. Um, and the fact that I get to be touching this kind of stuff is super interesting. But, you know, we've also learned a lot of stuff around incentive design and we've, you know, really experimented a lot with how Web3 can help projects grow. And this is something that we, you know, started off in our early days. Um, we did something that was relatively unique at the time in order to mint our initial NFT. We did what we called like a play to mint, essentially. So we put up a leaderboard and only the top 2,000 people in this game demo that we released could mint our NFT. Um, and then, you know, we kind of thought about it like game theory. We put like a limited time to this um like leaderboards. We gave people two weeks to play the game, you know, it created this crazy sense of urgency. We had this real time leaderboard that was updating when people would play the game. So, you know, they could see if they were going down in the ranks, things like that. Um, and it created like this, you know, higher level incentive design of like, you know, engage with our products. And then you get to emit this NFT um, or, you know, exhibit good behavior in our ecosystem, playing our game, giving us feedback, helping us test it. And you get to be, you know, a part of this ecosystem too. And we've kept that ethos in basically everything that we've done in the future, too. Um, We had a really big growth spurt in October, you know, taking this to the next level, where we played around more with, like, direct token and incentive design. Um, Basically, you know, incentivizing you to share the Twitter, incentivizing you to, you know, refer friends with token incentives. We saw an insane growth of that. So to me, that's kind of the whole point of Web3, actually, at the end of the day now. It's actually, like, essentially for us, we think about it like subsidized CAC. When you think about it like um, increased retention or like ways to you know facilitate the end effect that we want in a game um, without like you know cost to us or at least like subsidized cost to these token incentives where you know we get to build a network we get to um, build an ecosystem and then reward good behavior with these incentives it's really cool I'm so fascinated by it
2: that, that is that is really interesting I love that subsidized CAC. I can't say I've heard that one before but it makes so much more sense when it's articulated in, in, in that way. And I, th- I think pulling on something that, that you said as well, it's the activation within Web3 is rather easy. So retention is quite challenging and with a focus on good behavior. Um, and again, the, with the incentive mechanisms, you've, you've seen that growth, I'm guessing month on month as well, especially with that growth spot in, in October. Wow. So moving on, could you give us a rundown on what Pixels is and what's so special about the game that keeps the community coming back? Um, I know we've touched on this, but what else sets it apart from other Web3 games?
1: Yeah, so one of the things I think that we did really well early on was we did, you know, we started with community. Um, The game that we released initially was just like a bare bones demo that nobody really would want to be playing on its own. But we had built community around it and we did it very differently than a lot of the Web3 projects at the time. Um, you know, we had really strict rules in our discord, for example, like do not talk about floor price. If you talk about the price of our NFT, you're out of the discord, which at that time was not very popular, but it actually set the really good base for our community where we actually developed like a large group of people who liked what we're building, who, you know, had some part of ownership through our NFTs, through what we're building too. And there was like, you know, just better alignment with the long-term vision. So we could use that community in the future to you know support us through the rest of the stuff. And then they became our biggest fans too. Um, like essentially the NFT meant was you know a crazy growth act to get a thousand true fans um you know instantly basically. And then you know the other thing that we did too was we looked at games that have high retention inherently. And the types of games that I'm personally into are you know farm games. And those games are you know very, very retentive in nature where you know you do an action and you have to come back the next day or your crops might die. Um, You know, we wanted something psychological where like we want people to feel, I don't wanna say guilty, but you know, we want them to feel like they have to come back the next day or else the progress that they made might, you know, not, you know, show up. So the farm game fits that really well. It's essentially like a very retentive game loop um, that, you know, gets people coming back every single day and combined with the web three incentives, it's like, you know, good baseline of retention through gameplay, through community and like, really super fans and then you know the web3 growth incentives like that's how we've been thinking about things
2: super interesting that we've got on farming i remember when facebook first became the de facto platform farm film was a game everyone was playing regardless of, of age and it, it was that hook that kept you coming back wow so we've 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 heard about the token utility of pixels can you explain how it works and what benefits it provides to the different stakeholders
1: Yeah. So when we're thinking about the pixel token, like one, we need to frame it from like a burn perspective or like a utility perspective first, like what does this token do? And then we can also think about how we distribute it to like facilitate good in game behavior, like behavior that we think will grow the ecosystem essentially. So yeah, it's funny because I I see some tokens get dropped and like, I I actually have no idea what they do. Like some tokens they'll do governance, um, things like that. But for us, we wanted to focus on like, okay, What is an actual player who is holding this token going to do and how can we get them to use this token as much as possible? So one, we needed a game where, you know, we actually could see and analyze where people are spending their time, energy, resources and, you know, the in-game tokens they have right now before we ever released Pixel. So what's great is we actually released the game and we have a ton of data that we can pull from where it's like, okay, people value this area of our game, you know, with, you know, this soft currency that I've released in, um, you know, X dollar amount. And these are the things that we're looking to put pixel into now. So essentially we're thinking about, you know, premium, you know, in game items, essentially we're going to do like this new mechanic pretty soon called pets. Um, we're really excited about that. And that's gonna be like a very core part of the, uh, um, pixel burn loop. And then we're also thinking about, you know, other areas as well, like, you know, people are dying for upgrades in the game to things like their backpack. Um, essentially, you know, anything that feels like a bit more premium or what a game would typically use a hard currency for is what we're planning on using pixel for. And then we also have this whole other side of things too, where we've been developing, you know, user generated tooling, essentially, where people can actually make content in our game like, you know, new objects, new items, new rooms, and even new game mechanics. Um, It's essentially like this layer of SaaS that we've built out, that we've already built out in our previous business that we want to start opening up to our users, where we know we have a software that people will be paying, you know, money for it. And we actually want to use our token for that software. You know, we provided something of value, and we know this is like a pretty consistent way to sync that value um, when we're even not even thinking about the Web3 side of things. So we are going to be using this tooling, um, to be, you know, a primary sink of that pixel token as well. So essentially we're thinking about like two different personas. We're thinking about creators and we're thinking about users. And then what we're thinking about in terms of distribution of the token is okay, one, how can we, you know, reward people to basically funnel more primary sales to that pixel token. So for us, that's things like, you know. Um, playing the game a lot, you know, users that play the game a lot will probably be spending the pixel token more. Two, it's, you know, rewarding creators who bring more players to the game or who create experiences that, you know, engage players a lot of the time. So if you are building on our tooling and you make an experience that's getting people to play a lot, that will probably be using pixel more Then we want, you know, also reward you with this token as well. So, you know, we kind of think about it almost in a protocol level too, where it's, really the system of incentive design that we can use to, you know, help grow the ecosystem to, um, do all that. And we can only grow the ecosystem if this token is actually useful and if it's actually getting spent.
2: And I think something probably for our listeners at home to, to note as well, that there is a soft currency in game called the Berry token. So it it will be a dual currency ecosystem.
1: Yeah, exactly. Part of the reason that we did that was, you know, we got to analyze a ton of in-game data in order to, you know, kind of optimize that pixel token afterwards. So, you know, we had some assumptions about the pixel token, like we had emphasized cosmetics a lot in our original draft of the white paper. Um, And we realized, okay, if we wanted to sufficiently burn that pixel token just through cosmetics, we would have had to, you know, increase our spend on cosmetics in the game by like 10 to 20 X, and that just isn't realistic. So we have to go back to the drawing board, look at all of our, you know, real in-game data and see, okay, where's token actually the most useful. And we've pinpointed a few areas where we think it's going to be, you know, a big boost in uh, people's gameplay.
0: Luke, just a follow-up question. You did mention UGC. So I wanted to touch base and, and and get a sense of how UGC works within the Pixels game. And also you mentioned creators can use their own tokens uh, to incentivize uh, different, different rewards. Uh, can you also tell our audience a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, totally. So I can kind of go over like the pixel strategy of how we built, because I think this like story helps and make sense. So in order to build our core game, our farmland game, um, we have built like an entire suite of no code to low code tooling to make our game. Um, so basically everything that you see in the game pixels is made without code. It's just like a ton of tooling that we've built that was very difficult to build that hooks up to the blockchain, does all the incentives, the ERC-20s, 721s, behind the scenes, it's a really cool tech stack. And we've used this to build our own game because it makes our design process so much easier. We can iterate really quickly, we can add new content to the game without pushing new code, we can add new quests, new maps, um, all that kind of stuff, new NFTs, um, just like with a click of a button. So then what we've also been doing with that tooling now is we've been using that tooling to help make other games. Um, just us doing it. And we can make a game in like a couple of weeks, which is pretty crazy. And we just released this game called New Cyber with this partner project. We have another one coming soon and another one after that. Um, So we kind of wanted to start to use our own tooling to expand our ecosystem like a bit horizontally. And now the next stage of Pixels, which this is why we're so excited about the Pixel token, is we want to open up this tooling to all of our users. And our plan is to essentially open up this tooling like one by one. We have the first... You know ugc tool coming out in it should be this month it's you know an item builder where people can actually make new erc20s without any code just by uploading an object and they're going to be able to be used in game um and then kind of the next step of that is creating new worlds and then creating game mechanics and game loops themselves too
0: so just a tldr uh, so you guys are eventually going for a platform play or maybe a platform of platform play
1: Yeah, exactly. This team, my team's really technical and, you know, we made a decent game. Like our pixels game is actually hitting like pretty good industry standard retention without the web three incentives turned on where, you know, I think our day one is like 34% our day seven is something like 25%. Our day 28 is like 3.5% retention. So if you stack that up against any web two game, we're actually doing pretty decent, but you know, I know our team is even better on the tech side of things. So we're also leaning into our strengths too, where we built, Pretty impressive suite of tooling. And we know that if we unlock this, one, it's going to you know, increase our distri- distribution in a way that we couldn't just by ourselves. Now, instead of us being the blocker and creating new content in the game, um, you know, we kind of remove that blocker. And we also get to really experiment with like the protocol design too, essentially of you know, using a token to supercharge the growth of projects. And that's what we're most interested in about Web3.
0: So, so okay. Luke, one follow-up question I have around this is when we go with UGC and when we are going for a platform or platform play, uh, and, and since we have a burn mechanism in the game, uh, are you kind of slightly worried that there'll be so much demand for Pixels token that it might crowd out some, some users? Like, is that internal discussion you guys have had internally?
1: So that's why we like the idea of Pixel being like a premium currency where it's added on top. Um, so we're actually introducing this new game loop, Pets, And this pets mechanic is we get an advantage of being the platform, right? Where we actually get to insert some of our own stuff into all the things getting built on our platform. We want the pets mechanic to work on basically every game built on our platform. And that's essentially like a premium loop that we can use where it doesn't affect the gameplay of these other core loops of these games. Like pets is a separate game loop from the farmland loop, but they could be interconnected. You know, we could still have um, like some form of interoperability where it's like, you know, the, uh, the food and the crops that you earn in the pixel sparring game, you know, feed the pets, make them happy. But then these pets can also follow you to new cyber to this other project that we're working on to this other project that we're working on. And, you know, it can be a separate game loop, but yeah, the, uh, it's a tricky thing with things like this as well too, where, you know, you don't want to price out new users. Um, but you also do want to make sure that you can use this tool effectively in order to grow your platform. Um, So it's definitely something that we think about a lot. Um, That's how we kind of think about this token though. Think about it more as like a premium game loop that can attract users and provide sufficient burn for the people who want to be.
0: Thanks for the explanation, Luke. Uh, I I also want to touch base on monetization. Uh, I I know you guys have also introduced subscription model um, within within the game. Uh, I just wanted to get a sense of how that correlates with the in-game economy? What are your thoughts around uh, the monetization and does it accrue any benefit to the overall community?
1: Yeah, so one of the biggest unspoken things in Web3, that's a huge issue, is bots in Web3 games. Um, I think there was a recent report by this company called News jigger where they analyzed a bunch of on-chain data about Web3 games and about 60% of Web3 games are just full of bots and some games have much more, unfortunately. Um, and that does have very negative effects for the player base and for the game economy too. It's funny because there's all this tokenomics that you can do, right? And there's this theoretical side of tokenomics, but there's also the practical side where if you're not on top of things like bobbing or, you know, cyber attacks, then none of your theoretical tokenomics really matter because, you know, these, you know, um, bothers are basically going to, you know, ruin the ecosystem. So for us to combat that, you know, we could do this game of whack-a-mole and we've been playing it a lot. We ban bots. All the time we have a ton of bot prevention and a ton of bot detection after the fact we can normally catch a bot in about like a week but that's a week of them you know being in the game and ecosystem so our approach is you know we're trying it out we'll see if it works our approach is a bit different where we want to actually attack the economics of bots where we want to make it not economically viable to bot if we can catch a bot in a certain amount of time then you know what we're doing now is actually we're introducing like a subscription um So the idea is, you know, we charge like not anything huge, like $8 a month or something like that to, you know, participate in certain features of our game. We want the core game loop to be free, but we want some of the aspects of like earning to be gated by the subscription, or at least gated in, you know, some capacity by the subscription. So we have an $8 subscription per month. You know, we charge like a three month minimum. Um, That makes botting less economically viable in like the hundreds of accounts, if we're able to catch them within a certain amount of time. So essentially we can, you know, kind of buy the amount of time that that token is worth versus the earnings per day um, to ban these bots essentially. And if they come out negative, then they actually have no incentive to be botting anymore. Um, Or at least on the quantities that they have, you know, we still might get users that bought one-to-one and that's truthfully, maybe I shouldn't say this, but that's not as much of an issue as somebody who's making thousands of accounts, which we're seeing a lot in web3 where people spin up like 100 accounts a day, 1000 accounts a day and you know, cyber si attack any rewards program. So for us, you can kind of think about it like a mix of, you know, RuneScape or World of Warcraft membership where we can, you know, add some web3 components on top of it as well like the earn side of things. But, you know, we also can offer just like general in-game perks to like for example, people who buy our subscription get more backpack space. They get access to this like you know, exclusive area. So, you know, we want value in this subscription beyond just the Web three side of things, just like legitimate, you know, Web two benefits. Um, but then there's also things that we can do with Earn that really put a dent in yeah. you know bad actors as well.
0: More before I move to the fun side of the segment, which is the rapid fire round. Do you have any further questions for Luke in terms of anything technical? I know we made him sweat a bit
2: i think he's covered a lot from that perspective i think sometimes it's nice just to take a step back and we've we've, we we can understand why so many people are talking about pixels outside of of the well within the web3 ecosystem shall i say but on the web3 ecosystem what what do you see sort of been the evolution of play to earn and how that's changed your thinking within pixels and also maybe what some projects are still getting wrong and, and some sage advice, essentially condensing what you've been saying in the past 20, 25 minutes or so into something we can put into a tweet that you're limited by however many characters it is now without the blue tick.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think the space generally knows that play to earn is dead in its old form. Like the expectations formed around, you know, previous generations of Web3 gaming probably are not sustainable, but I do think there is a really interesting path of still being able to reward users for good in-game behavior through token incentives that looks different but still can work Um, but it really depends on building out a good base of the game like the game needs to be fun before you add any token incentives and thinking about all the rest of the incentive design too Um, i went really hard on the other end of things where we didn't want to talk about web 3 at all for a long time but also i do think there is you know, a benefit to web three gaming that exists. And I think it's actually not the worst, it's not bad to recognize, hey, this is a web three game. Um, you know, it's our advantage against web two games, right? These other aspects of ownership, of you know, being able to reward our users. So I think the future of Web3 Gaming for me is, you know, a mix of like, you know, good games built with really good incentives. And to me that's a winning combo. I love it. Mehdi, that's all on my end. Over to you.
0: Excellent. Luke, so let's move to our, our rapid fire round. This is the final segment of the podcast and we try to keep it fun. So the first question is, how do you see the intersection of AI and gaming?
1: Yeah, this might be one of my worst qualities internally as a as a founder where you know, I, love the, I love what's going on with generative AI and gaming and I think I bring it up to my team too much. Uh, we really want to take advantage of this as much as possible and we actually do use... AI a bit in our own internal tech stack for things like helping us come up with Quest. Um, And we've been experimenting with like AI generated pixel art too. What I'm really interested in as well is as we move to UGC, um, can we make our UGC process even easier with AI assistance? And that's something that we're working with a few other projects when we're launching our UGC tooling to see if we can do an integration with them as well. I think it's amazing. And, you know, I'm really excited about the whole future um, you know, when I feel like eventually there's going to be a game where it's just like you type in a prompt or you just like have a game that's completely built for you without doing anything like, you know, ready player me stuff. It's pretty cool.
0: So this question was prepared by chat GPT four. So what are your favorite web three and web two games?
1: Yeah. So it's funny cause I didn't think of myself, I didn't think of myself as a gamer because I'm not in the first person shooters. I'm not in the MOBAs. Um, the kind of game that I got really into is like, it's stardew valley and that's why pixels looks like stardew valley so much um i also played a ton of vampire survivors in the last year um it's not just like casual games where you can chill out and not really think about things but yeah i also grew up playing runescape like a lot of other people in web 3 so i think that's you know set a lot of the ethos of what we're building as well too i think most people recognize runescape as like an early metaverse um and it's definitely influenced my thoughts on like you know game economy design and all of that side of things. And in terms of Web3, I still, I don't think Axie Infinity and Sky Mavis get enough credit if I'm being completely honest, um, especially like in the current day and age, this team I think is extremely talented. I think they've learned things about the space that get overlooked and I'm seeing the roadmap, I'm seeing the things that they're releasing lately. And I have a ton of respect for what they're doing um, and you know, the gameplay improvements that they've made. I know a bunch of people who are playing the game now because they like the game. it's not about the token incentives. And I think they've turned a really interesting leaf where, yeah, I'm super excited about their future.
0: So Luke, what was the last thing you searched on Google or ChatGPT?
1: Let me look. I think it was kind of funny. Um, I think my last ChatGPT search had something to do with puns i i'm really bad at coming up with puns myself me and my friends have a group chat about puns so i've been cheating a bit i'm not gonna lie and i had it come up with some puns for me. Uh. <laughs> maybe not no i told you we'd, I, I
2: told you would make you sweat in this podcast <laughs> <laughs> no no fair fair enough I've, i have to ask one more question but i think we know the answer yeah. blue ocean or red ocean Blue ocean I love it. I love it. I mean, wow that that was a fun round, Luke. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of the different insights about Pixels and, and the world of Web three gaming. Um, we wish you team, we wish you and your team all of the best moving forward. And yeah I can't wait to, to jump back in and wait till we maybe integrate Mochaverse one day within the Pixels ecosystem. Watch this I space. Happen. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, no, appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, really enjoyed this.
0: This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.